Welcome to Grace on the Go. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go. This episode is a sermon from Sunday, November 27th, 2022 called, And He Will Be Called, Wonderful Counselor, given by Pastor Chris Simmons. The scripture passage highlighted for today's sermon comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. God's grace, mercy, and peace are yours in his son, Jesus Christ. As we begin, I didn't mention this in my introduction. You'll see Pastor Dinger is not here. He's home right now with a pretty bad um, cold and a virus, so he's sick. And it's a tough time of year. Um, I don't mean tough. It's a very great celebratory time of year, but it requires a lot of demands being here often. So we pray that he rests up well. If you're watching right now, Pastor Dinger, rest well, um, because I I would like you back. Um, ASAP, but not not too soon. I want to make sure that you're feeling well. So I'll be here. I'm serving you today. And we have wonderful volunteers, so it's been great. But as we get started today, we're looking at uh, this new sermon series where we're going through every Sunday in Advent, so the next couple Sundays, these names of Jesus found in Isaiah chapter 9. Today I get to work on Wonderful Counselor. And what does that mean? First, let's kind of define, well, what a wonder is, what we think a wonder is, and what a wonder actually is. To go through this, it's kind of, I'll be quick on this. I'll tell you what, until I Googled this, I didn't know what the seven wonders of the world today are. I'm not sure if you do, so I hope this is as enlightening for you as it was for me. We're going to go through these images pretty quickly. Here are, not, these aren't the, the, the classical wonders of the world, like the hanging gardens of Babylon that are no longer there. These are what are listed today as the seven wonders of the world. Let's go to the first one. Over here, the Colosseum in Rome. It's the largest amphitheater ever built, constructed from sand and stone over eight years, from A.D. 72 to A.D. 80. And this is... A wonder of the world. You'll hear that six more times, so I hope you're amazed every time. This is a wonder of the world. Up next, we have the Great Wall of China. And this was started in 7th century B.C. as a bunch of little different walls that were eventually connected by 220 B.C. And this connects all the China's walls into one barrier that measures a whopping 13,171 miles. And this is, ladies and gentlemen, a wonder of the world. The next one, Wonder of the World number three, the Taj Mahal. This is a white marble mausoleum. And if you take a look at this, it was built by an emperor as a tomb for his wife that died during childbirth. And it is uh, started, it was built in 1631. It's 42 acres of grounds where there are gardens, a mosque, a guest house, and a pool over the entire complex. It took 22 years to build the whole thing. Again, this is in 1631. And the monetary equivalent in U.S. dollars was eight. 127 million U.S. dollars today. This is truly a wonder of the world. Very good. You're getting it. Over here, number four, this is the statue. Over here, the statue of Christ the Redeemer over Rio de Janeiro. It's the largest um, Art Deco sculpture in the world, standing at 30 meters tall, completed in 1931, and it's uh, concrete-clad over 6 million soapstone tiles. This, ladies and gentlemen, is... A wonder of the world. Okay, good. Next one, number five. This is Machu Picchu. It's a lost treasure of the 15th century, a rare citadel discovered in the Andes Mountains, a pre-Columbian rune. And what's really neat about it is there's so many different buildings that are intact, so you get that idea of what it meant to be in the Andes Mountains at this time um, in the 1500s. And ladies and gentlemen, because of its remarkable preservation, this is a wonder of the world. Very good. Number six over here. This is... 
Um, in the Mexican state of Yucatan, this is uh, Chichen Itza, if you've ever heard about this before. So this is only one building amongst uh, very many other buildings. And this one in particular is a devotional temple at that time. And there's a bunch of cool stuff if you Google it, like when there's an equinox and the way the sun hits it, all the designs it makes on the ground, even maps and things like that. But it's um, 12th century, and it's very well preserved. And ladies and gentlemen, because of it, this is one of the wonders of the world. Very good. Last one, number eight. Over here, this is Petra, the ancient city in southern Jordan, uh, also known as the Rose City for its golden hue, and it dates as far back as 312 B.C. The city was uncovered in 1812, and as it was uncovered, it was found to be in remarkable, it was remarkably preserved. And ladies and gentlemen, this is number eight, and because it looks so cool, this is another wonder of the world. Thank you very much. So as you take a look at all these wonders of the world, I'm like, hey, neat. I didn't know about these things. There's one thing they all have in common, however. What is it? They were all made by man. These were all built by human hands. So you look at the wonders of the world, and I say, hey, you know what? That is really cool. But when you actually kind of consider it with our technology today and our resources today, all those wonders of the world, yeah, it was cool. They built that in the 15th century, but we could do that um, probably a lot better and faster now than like, you know, 22 years or something like that and have it cost less. Why is a wonder of the world something that we could still accomplish and build today? I don't find that to be a wonder. I just find, it, I just find myself wondering, well, I could do that, right? Not only could I do that, we could do that today. And how could we get it done? I don't know. Maybe a, a, a group of 10 guys could build the Taj Mahal. Probably not 20,000. With the right machinery, of course. And I find it ironic that a wonder is something that, again, with enough resources and people coming together, it's something that we could still do. And it brings us to our text here in Isaiah chapter 9, where we read, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. As we unpack this, we're going to actually unpack literally the word wonder and the word counselor. Because I want to, not only do I want to know who Jesus is, I want to know what these words really mean. In the Hebrew, this word wonderful is actually pele, is what the word is. And what it means is wonder. That word is used to define an act of God, something outside of humanity, or to take those and combine it, something that only God can do. That's what it means to be a wonder. So a wonderful counselor, wonder is an act or something that only God can do. And I say that because we see the word wonderful counselor, or the two words, wonderful counselor. And when I think of wonderful, I think of Thanksgiving, like we just had. Did any of you eat some wonderful food? I did. We made uh, potatoes au gratin from scratch. They were awesome, right? I had wonderful food. I had a wonderful turkey. And if I go to my mother-in-law's for dinner sometimes, she makes wonderful food. And even if it didn't taste wonderful and she had me burnt toast and I ate it in front of her, you know what I'd tell her? This is wonderful. Exactly. And the idea of wonderful for us means something impressive, right? All those wonders of the world, were they impressive? Yeah, they were impressive. But a wonder isn't just something that's impressive. Hey, you did something that really impressed me. It's got to be something that only God can do, something outside humanity. This word's used a lot in Exodus. The pillar of fire by night that the Israelites would follow, that was called a pele. That was a wonder, only something God could do. Uh, The plagues are called a pele. These are something that only God can do. Only God can make frogs rain from the sky and send a bunch of locusts. Right? If you watch the Prince of Egypt, you'll go, oh, those are all different Pele's. Another one being the rock 
that spring water came out of it, you know, when Moses hit it with his staff, that is only something God could do. It doesn't matter how hard you squeeze a bunch of rocks, you're probably not going to get a bunch of water. Um, oh, I have this verse up here. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us, we're going to go through that, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. To kind of wrap your mind around that, there's in particular, we often mistake God's wonders, the things that only God can do, for the things that we can accomplish. I confuse that only God could do this, rather than what Ephesians 3 is saying here, God worked through me by his wonder to have something happen. To wrap your mind around it, if you've ever seen, like, there are always these movies. And a lot of them are, like, from the 50s or, like, a little bit later. Honestly, I guess you could call them horror movies. They were always those movies of, like, when people are in an airplane. And there's turbulence. And it's kind of scary. And, oh, what are we going to do? And somehow the pilot has eaten bad sushi and goes unconscious. Or hits his head. Or a bad guy comes and knocks him out. And someone else that's somewhere in the plane. Oh, yeah, you know, I, I flew a plane once when I was 12. And they, they come up. And they put on the headset. You know what movies I'm talking about, though? They put on the headset. And what do they hear in their ears? Sound, yes. Uh, they hear, in, through the headset, ground control. And ground control says, do everything we tell you to do, and it'll be just fine. And they go, okay. And they grab hold of the, they're in the cockpit. They grab hold of whatever the steering thing is. And um, they start to fly the plane. And they do everything that ground control says in their headset. And they check everything off. And then the plane lands safely. And at the end of the movie, it always comes this. The guy comes out, and they celebrate. You landed the plane. Great job. Hey, I landed the plane. I did great. Did that guy really land the plane? Uh, kind of, right? There was certainly, yeah, he may have been the vehicle that did everything that ground control was telling him in his ear in order for the plane to land. But in reality, it was a lot more ground control saying, we will work through you to make sure this plane lands safely so everyone on board will be safe. Just do everything I tell you, and it'll be just fine. And oftentimes we see ourselves as the person landing the plane rather than the one that God worked through for the sake of others, helping us maybe by his work to land the plane. I'm going to bring you to this verse. I don't have it up here, but if you want to dedicate it to memory, this is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So I'll tell you a story. When I was a brand new Christian, and you know, I, get to, I heard the story of Jesus. I'm like, wow, this Jesus thing, it's great. I can't believe God did this for me. It's awesome. Go through a catechism class with a campus pastor, about 10 sessions over 10 weeks. Get baptized. I'm pumped. Woo, I'm reading my Bible. And then like, time came around eventually as I'm reading it. And I go, you know what? I realized maybe I couldn't have lived the perfect life that Jesus took all his, my sins on upon himself and gave me his righteousness. I get that. And, um, you know, the whole resurrection relationship with God, maybe I didn't have that. But I'll tell you what. This is young Chris, not today Chris. When I was a brand new Christian, when I read about the crucifixion of Jesus, his death for the sake of all eternity, all generations that would come after, and all generations that have gone before and all generations there in that moment that believed in him as Savior, that he died for them to give them salvation for the sake of the rest of the world and resurrects them with him. But when he, the act of dying to save everybody else, I read that and I went, you know, if it was for the sake of everybody, all people for all eternity, 
I do that. I, I thought that all the time. You know, I would, this is called a Messiah complex. Um, I don't have it anymore. <laughs> but it was this idea that you could save everybody. Like, yeah, you know, I, I, could, I would die for everybody. No, I don't want to say no problem. It would hurt. But for the sake of all eternity, for all people, why wouldn't you? And I thought that, well, honestly, I'm, I would do that because I'm a good person. I know you could see where the disaster's leading, right? Like, I'm a good person. I like to do good things for people, and this is the best thing I could do for anybody. Of course I would do that. So time goes on. That starts to lessen a bit, you know, but I still always hold on to that thought in the back of my head that, like, I would die for everybody for the sake of all humanity, for all eternity, backwards and forwards. Sure, I would do that. And then I had my first child. And then when, when Lily was born, I, I was doing Bible study or I was listening to a podcast. I could tell you where I was sitting when this moment happened, when God bashed me in the side of the head. And I'm, I'm holding Lily. She's seven pounds. And she's on my chest. And I'm just like, oh. And God says, hey, Chris, do you still think you could die for all of humanity for the sake of the entire world? Do you still think you could do that? And I'm like, you know what, Lord? I would be dying for her. So yes, Lord, I, I could still do that. And he says, oh, okay. Do you think you could let her do that for everybody? And I went, oh, now I get it. Now I get what that really means, to let your son, in this case my daughter, to let your child take on the sins of humanity, let them be tortured and let them be beaten to let them suffer, and then to watch them be crucified and to let them die. Could I let my child do that? If I had all the power in the world, the very power of God to make it stop, I don't, I, I don't think I could last a second. I can't even, man, I, I fall apart when she stubs her toe. <laughs> There's no way I could do that. And I go, God, now I get it. That's what a wonder really is. That you could do something that I couldn't. That's outside of humanity. That you would do this for me. A wonder is something that only God can do. And I tell you this now because, you know, this, this is the tagline, don't be like me, right? I'm better now, but maybe, I'm probably maybe not the best role model, but I hope so. I strive, but don't be like I was back then. The one who thought not just better of himself, the one who said, hey God, I know a wonder is something that only you could do, but I bet I could do that. God says, yeah, you, you don't really see it for what it is yet, do you? A wonder is something that only I can do. I tell you all this because I got an alarming survey that was emailed to me. And it was by a reputable source. And in this survey, it talks about um, Lutheran Christians. If you don't know who we are, we're called Grace Lutheran. Lutheran's a denomination of Christianity. If all that just sounds like jargon, that's just fine. We'd love to talk to you about what that means someday. But we're Christians who believe the Bible is the best way to phrase it very quickly. Um, Lutheran Christians who believe in the Bible, 51% of Lutheran Christians still say, I'm saved because I'm a good person and because of the good things that I do. And I go, ooh, man. That survey wasn't given here. Not us, <laughs> right? But 51% of Lutheran Christians, people who believe who we believe, still believe you're saved by your good works, the good things that you do, and because you're a good enough person, God will save you. That's not how salvation works. A wonder is something only God can do. And our salvation came in the flesh as we celebrate this holiday season, as we celebrate Christmas, came in the flesh into a manger for our sake, so he could take on everything for us. Again, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Our righteousness comes from God, and the wonders that we do aren't because I'm so great. 
find myself quite inept and incapable at times. But often it's God's wonder working through us, us being a vehicle that he chooses to work through for the sake of others. Brings us to our second word over here. We have wonderful and we have counselor. If you can go over here to the next slide. If you can go to the image for me. Oftentimes, a mistake of a case of mistaken identity. When we hear the word counselor, right? And before I go into this, like I'm a pastoral counselor. I've counseled people. Um, you may be a professional counselor or you go to counseling. I'm going to oversimplify it. Do not throw tomatoes at me. I'm going to oversimplify what counseling is. This lemon tells us very well what's going on. Everyone tries to make me into lemonade, but I just can't be something I'm not. I know, cute. Well, we often see ourselves, right, okay, we're the lemon and the pineapple. I go to counseling, and when I go to counseling, I, I'm the lemon, and I tell the pineapple or the psychologist or psychiatrist that's there all of my problems. Okay, here's the thing I'm having a problem with. And the pineapple then tells me, okay, um, well, now that you've identified your problems, what do you think you should do about them? And then the lemon continues to tell the pineapple, um, all, well, you know, here are the solutions I've thought of for my problems. And the pineapple says, okay, you've already found solutions. How are you going to execute those now? And the, the lemon then starts to talk, well, you know, here are my problems, here are my solutions, and here are the things that I can do in order to make them better. And it's like, great, $175 on your way out, have a good day. Uh, it's, that's oversimplifying it, um, and there's a lot of good things. I've gone to counseling myself. It's really wonderful. Highly encourage it for all people. Um, when you're going through something that you're just not sure how to navigate. But oftentimes, they are drilling into you, what's your problem? Because I, <laughs> what am I going to do? I can tell you all your problems? I probably could. But um, you want me, the pineapple's not going to tell me my problems. Okay, well, now that you've told me your problems, the pineapple's not going to give me a solution, right? He's like, I'm not you. I, I've never dealt with what you're doing. What do you think the solution is? And then finally, okay, great. If you think you found a solution, how are you going to do it? And maybe here's some good advice on how to make that happen. Okay, a wonderful counselor, we often think of it, okay, someone I could go to to tell my problems who can give me a little bit of good advice to help make my life better. Is Jesus that? Sure, yeah. If I was going to get advice from anybody, I'd, I'd best get it from Jesus, right? He gives me a lot of advice, if you call it advice, on how to make my life better. But that's not what this word means in the Hebrew, right? If we go to a wonderful counselor, the idea of a counselor was to uh, be, a, it was a king giving counsel to his subjects, that's what a counselor is, a king who gives counsel to his subjects. To rephrase that a little bit better, right, a case of mistaken identity, does a king give his subjects advice? Not really. What does a king do? Gives you commands, tells you this is the way it's going to be. I'm laying down the law. This is how my kingdom is ruled. Here is my counsel to you. You better follow it or else. And God gave his counsel to the people of Israel. And what happened is they said, I'm not going to take your counsel. Go back to point two. I'm not going to take your counsel. So they went and did their own thing. They said, okay, well, we're going to do things the way that we want. And he says, well, guess what? The Assyrians are coming to take over the northern kingdoms. And Judah, you're going to go into Babylonian captivity. Okay, well, is, is that what it is? A king gives us counsel, and if we don't follow it, we only receive discipline? I'm going to tell you a story. You're going to have to stretch your imagination to really understand this one because it's something that would never happen. Imagine that you have a job, that you work in a building and, or at an office, and you have an office cubicle, and for some reason, beyond your control, you now have to work at home. I know, it's unbelievable. This would never happen. So uh, you're now forced to work from home, and you go to a bedroom, you clear it out, and you have an upstairs, you clear out the bedroom to kind of make a makeshift office. And for whatever reason, you have no idea why, you have two children, and they can't go to school, and some, for some reason, have to do school from home. 
And they're downstairs, and you're upstairs, and your kids are supposed to be doing some work that they're supposed to be doing at home from school. And for some reason, you're working from home, they're doing from school from home. Don't know why this would happen. Um, but as they're doing school from home, they begin to fight. And they're not doing what they're supposed to. And they're being loud. And, and Timmy's taking the toy from Jimmy, and Jimmy refuses to share any snacks with Timmy. And you're upstairs, and you're trying to manage it from where you're working upstairs. And you shout downstairs, hey, guys, quiet down. Hey, be nice to each other. Hey, Timmy, make sure you're sharing with Jimmy. Hey, Jimmy, stop being mean to your brother. Hey, and then eventually what happens? What do you say eventually? Don't make me come down there. Right? Don't make me come down there. I've heard this um, when I was a child. Do not make me come down there. And they continue to fight. And they continue not to listen. They continue not to heed your counsel. So all those words that were yelled downstairs now become incarnate in the flesh. As you come down the stairs <laughs> to make yourself present among your children and say, you did not heed my counsel or my words. <laughs> and now the word has become flesh. <laughs> and now I will make sure, I will make you heed my counsel. I will make you listen. That's how it tends to play out. Not that that sort of thing would ever happen in life. But if you don't heed my counsel, I will make you heed my counsel. A king doesn't give advice. He gives commands. And eventually, if people don't listen to the commands, the king himself then appears and enforces those commands. And it takes us to this next line over here. When the two words are now combined, wonderful counselor. And here you get the one who is wonder and takes on his own counsel. And this is the, I call it like the two parts, the two halves of Christmas. As I read this to you again, we're going to Matthew chapter 10. Because we often think Christmas is that, again, I said it's a warm, fuzzy time. It's that eggnoggy feeling, feeling, flavor, uh, peppermint and that kind of stuff. A lot of joy, warmth. There's two sides of Christmas. We do receive all that warmth, joy, peace, and love that we get from Jesus. But there's a reason why we needed it in the first place. And Jesus tells us here in Matthew chapter 10. Jesus himself says, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. And that's, you read that and you go, man, Jesus, that's, that's pretty harsh. And it is, right? There's, there's a good dose of what we call the law in there, right? The counsel that, that Jesus says is you were inept. You wouldn't heed my counsel. You wouldn't listen. You refused to follow it. And now I'm coming with a sword to separate you from the thing that keeps you from me. Yet in the same way, you also hear the wonder of the gospel there. Jesus says, I've come to separate you with a sword from the thing that keeps you from me. God says, it was, your salvation was so important to me that I needed the job done right, so I did it myself. I came incarnate in the flesh, the wonder of God that came in the, in the form of a human, right? In the flesh of humanity, took on human nature upon himself for our very own sake to separate us from the thing that keeps us from God, which is sin, he says, I gave you counsel and you refused it. So now I send you a wonder in order to save you from it. An act, again, 
only God can do. And you read this verse in particular because what, what's really emphasizing is the placement of it. It's saying don't place your, your children or it's good to love your children. It's good to love your wife. It's good to love your family. It's good to be good to people. It's good to be generous. It's good to be good, period. But don't place those things above God. Above my rightful place, God would say, in your life, uh, anything above me you would consider an idol. Our families can become idols. Our, our wives and husbands can become idols. Our jobs, the good things that we do, Chris being a good person, can become an idol. I'm good enough to save humanity, by golly. right? That can become my own idol, the good that I do. And Jesus is saying, I've come in the flesh with a sword to cut it away. To cut away from the things that you hold on so desperately, the things that you cling to that you think mean so much more than me. I've come in flesh, even as an infant, to cut it away from you in order that I might save you. And that's the two halves of Christmas. When we refuse the counsel that, that we cling to so tightly from God, that he would come and give us that joy and peace that we maybe could have gotten a different way, but we don't. Because a wonder is only something that God can do. As we go through this week, something we don't focus on as much in this service are kind of these candles up here. You hear about them maybe sometimes if you have like a wreath at home. These are called like the Advent candles. And each one kind of we celebrate a different week. This first week is hope. You have hope. I might get these out of order. Hope, uh, joy. No, now joy's over here. Hope, peace, love, and joy's the pink one. I got the pink one's joy. But as we celebrate all these things, they're a gift from God, each and every one of them, because they have to be a gift from God because we couldn't achieve them ourselves. Hope was only something God could give to us. It was truly a wonder. The wonder is Christ coming in the flesh because we needed it. Otherwise, we, we, we wouldn't heed God's counsel and we cling to sin so desperately that it would give us death and not life, that he came and act only he could do to separate us from that sin that would lead us to death and instead give us his forgiveness and his love and his everlasting grace. Because we're still going to fall short at times. Like I said, my, my, me being a role model, maybe sometimes, but I fall short. I don't, know, I don't know if you all do, but I do. But when I fall short, that grace wasn't just a one-time deal. That grace is something that continues. And that's, again, truly a wonder. That I'm forgiven every time by the blood of Jesus Christ that washes me white as snow, removes me from sin, because he comes with a sword to cut away the things that say, hey, that's going to keep you from me. Let me convict you and let me love you. Let me show you my grace and let me be the wonder that not only works in your life for you, but works through your life for the sake of others. And to him be that glory now and forever. And all God's people said, amen. If you have any questions or comments, email them to podcast at gracepocatello.org and make sure to subscribe to our channel to stay up to date on sermons and classes at Grace Lutheran Church in Pocatello, Idaho. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go.